0: Hi, and welcome to Global Impact, a podcast designed to help you find the freedom to accomplish more with your life, increase the productivity of your team, and make a difference in the lives of people around the world. I'm your host, JW Oliver, and I thank you for joining us. Hi, this is JW Oliver with another edition of Global Impact. Today, we have Mr. Ken Sharp with us. Hi, Ken, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, JW. All the better to hear you and see you today.
0: Absolutely, the miracle of Zoom. (laughs) Well, Ken was born in Zimbabwe and at 18, being a natural entrepreneur, he started his first company and has since had over 100 companies and 30 plus partnerships in diverse industries and countries. However, since 2006, his focus has been in real estate and property development in Zimbabwe His focus and passion for Africa is for investments to create jobs and eradicate poverty. 13 years ago, Ken survived a near-death experience while skiing, and he believes God's gift to us is our life, and what we do with it is our gift back to him. Ken says, Zimbabwe's greatest assets is its people. Ken, I'll have to agree with that. I've gotten to know the people in uh, Zimbabwe uh, better the last three years, and no doubt that their, their attitude... Their uh, love of the Lord, their, their uh, ability to work through various scenarios is, is unbelievable. T- tell, us a little bit about, um, tell us a little bit about Zimbabwe and how it's emerged from, I believe it was Rhodesia and where it is today. Tell us a little bit about that as well.
1: Well, thank you, firstly, sir, for that comment. It's put a smile on my face, as you can see. I just love the people of Zimbabwe because they really are a truly greatest asset. They're resilient, they're humble, hardworking, determined, loyal, and honest. And those are qualities that have been embedded into them through the generations. So if we go back a couple generations, uh, Zimbabwe was a British colony. Uh, The British occupied it in in the early uh, 1900s and established a colony in, in, in Salisbury at the time, which became Harare, the capital. My ancestors moved into Africa. My great-grandfather came as an explorer from England. He was actually a captain in the Navy. He had fallen in love with an aristocrat's daughter, the inventor of the electric light bulbs. And and I I guess you're going to say it's Thomas Edison, but my ancestor, Sir Joseph Swan, actually invented it a few months before Thomas Edison. And when he discovered the American had had a patent across the coast, he sued him and proved that his patent in England was the first one. So he got the courts to award him 50% of Edison's patent, and his daughter was Hilda Swan. who's my great-great-grandmother, my great-grandmother. And she met my great-grandfather in, in Switzerland on a ski holiday, and he eloped with her. He fell in love with her, took her to Africa, and he became an explorer going up through Africa. He was actually a farmer in Natal. He had some uh, sugarcane farm land, and he left the land with his sisters and went exploring. he heard about this gold and diamond discovery in Tanganyika, which became Tanzania. And because of that, his, his son, my, my grandfather was uh, interested in joining his father and he studied geology, became a PhD, got a doctorate at imperial, imperial in London, and then came back to Africa to help his father. Went all the way up from South Africa where he arrived with my father as a, as a small boy and, and his, his brother, my uncle Brian and auntie Margaret. And they, they uh, kind of he pulled him up through, which was Southern Rhodesia at the time, became Zimbabwe, and then Northern Rhodesia, which is Zambia, and went into Tanganyika and found his father. On this gold mine, uh, we actually f- found the letters not long ago. I was looking through the family archives, and we're reading the letters between the families and the love letters. Interesting history. Anyway, the Southern Rhodesians, where I was born, was part of the the original uh, British colony. There was Southern Rhodesia, Northern Rhodesia, Nyasaland, and then they split up and started becoming independent. Uh, Zimbabwe was the last to get its independence in 1980. Uh, Zambia was prior to that, and and Malawi, which came out of Nyasaland, was prior to that. So in 1980, we had our first elections. 1979 was what was called the Lancaster House Agreement, where there was a settlement. There was a long period of war. The white Rhodesian minority government had resisted the black population having the right to vote, and they basically went to the bush and and started a bush war. Um, And that war went on during the late 60s and, and 70s, up until 1979, when there was a ceasefire and a peace agreement brokered between England and the two Zimbabwean factions. Uh, Josh Nkomo headed the, the Bulawayo, the Indabele population faction, which was a, a, a party called Zapu, and Zanu was headed by Robert Mugabe, the Shonas from, from Harare. They then formed a government and agreed there'd be an election, and Robert Mugabe won the election overwhelmingly. And one of the most amazing things was to see his magnanimity in it, was that he reconciled he offered the hand of peace and reconciliation. In fact, the first logo I remember growing up seeing from the political perspective was a black and white hand shaking each other. That was their logo. And through the 80s, it was it was a very peaceful period. However, he had a, a policy of Marxism, of socialism, and centralized government. So there was very little business activity. Uh, it was all government controlled. There were no imports coming into the country. And up until that point, because of sanctions, so unwind the clock back to the 70s and even 60s, the the world put sanctions on Zimbabwe, initially sports and and, and political sanctions and then full economic sanctions. So the only real support they had or trading partner was South Africa, and they used to get a lot of goods and and support support from South Africa, but pretty much they were cut off from the rest of the world. And they had some people helping them with sanctions busting to get in critical uh, imports like fuel, electricity, but generally, there was very little available in the shops. I remember growing up, we just had maybe two types of jam available in all the shelves. We would never have butter, for example. We would always be marjorie. So there were certain luxuries that we didn't have access to. And then in, in the late 80s, the government realized that this policy of socialism wasn't working. And in 1990, the, the government led by Robert Mugabe started a policy of economic structural adjustment program, they called it. ESAP, for short, was a five-year program. And through 90 to 95 they had rapid you know um, decentralization of government and an economic freedom of opening up the borders allowing trade to come in and at that time i was at school in in the uk came back for a holiday i was actually staying with the, the grandfather the one i told you about his sister my great aunt i was staying with her in england i was supposed to become a fighter pilot came back home to zimbabwe and and discovered an opportunity to get into business and i'd always kind of been a young natural and entrepreneur from the age of about 16, 17. And then I got involved in imports and never went back to the UK. So during the nineties, you could see the industriousness of Zimbabweans. They'd learned to what locals term, make a plan. And make a plan was, although we had sanctions, although we didn't have anything available, we knew how to, we knew how to, we knew how to do it. They were ingenious, you know, if they needed to, to buy a bolt and there were no bolts available, they would go and make one, either on a lathe with using some metal, or they would make an alternative to a bolt. So people had this kind of latitude of thinking outside the box and and creating something from nothing. And Zimbabweans are generally very uh, industrious, they're hardworking. And through the 90s, we could see, as the economy opened up, rapid growth, which created a large middle uh, income bracket. And the population, one of the things that that Robin Mugabe um, certainly will be recognized as a positive in his history is for educating the people. So there was a time when they were building one school a day in Zimbabwe and educating the people. So we have one of the most literate populations in Africa, and in fact, in the world. And and the people, because they became so literate, realized in the late 90s, early 2000s, that this one party, one government thing wasn't working. And that's when there was some resistance to the government and you know the parties started to come out, opposition parties, the farmers were supporting them. And then of course, we had the, the devastation of the land invasions and the land reform program, which kind of completely annihilated the economy. And that's when we took a, turn, a downward turn. Up until so then, what Zimbabwe- year was, uh, What year was that of the land so this invasions? Is, this is late 90s. Okay. 97. And uh, we then had this um, uh, scenario of, of, of uh, a protracted period of probably 10 years of resolving the land invasions and redistributing the land to the, to the black population, taking it away from the whites. And, and we went from being a bread basket of Africa to kind of the begging basket. Our GDP shrunk enormously. We were in the top sort of three, five GDP countries of Africa. Now we're in the bottom three. So we've really seen the back end for the last two decades of economic degradation and economic uh, devastation. So
0: really in an, in an attempt to appease the masses or appease the general population, Mugabe was in, uh, in essence attempting at that time to, to appease them with the land, is that correct?
1: Of course, it was his last draw card. You know, the, he, he cannot be forgotten in history as being the liberator of giving, of giving Zimbabwe their freedom. And that would have been his legacy if he had left it to that, but he continued looking for alternatives to keep getting votes, to stay popular. So every time an election came around, he had to have a new way, a new gimmick of keeping people on his side. Uh, there were a lot of handouts that were done, a lot of favoritism, a lot of nepotism, um, and a lot of economic empowerment for black people, and that kept him in power. But then at the end, he really had nothing more to give, so the last card he had to play was the land one. And, and you know, to, to, be, to be fair, the black people fought for their land and freedom, and he was using that as a clear message. You know, we've got our freedom politically, but we haven't got our land. And if if we're not going to get it through negotiation, then we're going to take it by force. And that appealed to a certain um, percentage of the population. And he used that to his to his um, advantage to stay in power.
0: Yeah, I think what's interesting. You said something that caught my uh, ear. There was that 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 because of the sanctions, it. it it spawned a new era of some creativity as well. They were able to yeah. find new ways of doing things, uh, getting around this, the the inability to have, as you put it, as simple as a maybe a bolt that they needed for a, a tractor or a piece of machinery, that they're able to have that creativity. But I think what's changed, what I've seen, and, and, and let me preface this by saying, Ken and I met about five years ago. Uh, he's now my partner in, in Global BP Solutions, which is a, a, a wonderful opportunity that, that we found to enhance the lives of people there in zimbabwe so what i've learned and i think i first went three years ago to zimbabwe and what i've what i've learned is that now you have i can speak for the people in our office our average age is about 26 years old so i think you have a very young working highly educated population uh, by the way they speak like ken does you know you have this Um, UK accent, which is very enticing to companies, obviously in the UK, but as well as in the US. But because you have this young, I'm going to say 20 something population, my guess is that most of the working class is really in the age of, of probably 20 to 35 years of age, that they really uh they love the fact that they can rely on their independence which was celebrated 40 years ago just just had the anniversary this past saturday i believe so there's this 40 years of of independence but now i see this young population just ready to get on with their lives they just they want to work they want to aspire to a more of a capitalist democratic economy where they can they can advance in their work advance in their living styles and and really move forward it's, is, is that where you would say that this has become and come to as well?
1: Yeah, Jed, every great question. So let me cover the population first. Statistically, I think it was around 2012 when, when the world population surpassed 7 billion. Um, and in that count, there was more, something like 90 percent of people under 30 years of age were living in emerging and developed economies, particularly in Middle East and Africa um, and in Africa we have more than 70 percent of the population below 30. Zimbabwe is no exception. So the majority of our population is in their 20s and 30s and these are people that that are born you know millennials um, and maybe even some ex-generation who've coming up and the thing with them and I've got to link it to the economy and this is where my heart is because I believe the past is the past you know we can look at the government and blame them and and, and, and we can look at both sides and blame both sides, and we can apportion blame to whichever side we want. But ultimately, that is now in the past. We've got to look at the future. And the generation that's currently ruling the country is the older generation. You know, most political leaders in Zimbabwe are sort of in their 60s and 70s. And as we know, Mugabe died late in his 90s, he was still president, 90 plus. We've got to look at this younger generation of those people that are in our office, you know, in their 20s and 30s. And what is in their minds? Like, what are they feeling about their possibilities, their opportunities available to them. You know, they've been kind of discredited for the last 20 years. They've had no opportunity. And the reason for that is purely economic. So, so my passion and my heart is really to bring economic emancipation for the people of Zimbabwe because they've been politically free. They've got the right to their land. They've got the right to vote. They are the majority of the population. The black population is something like 99.97%. So, so, so there's no doubt that the black people are in control of Zimbabwe. And yet the people are not yet economically free. They cannot put bread on the table to feed themselves. So my heart and passion is totally towards investment, inward investment, uh, and, and job creation. Because that's what's going to bring the people out of poverty. They can't stay in this cycle of poverty forever. And it starts with one person, just one person. And, and what makes me feel really proud about what you've done is you've helped us to create this opportunity for people to work in Harare and yet earn a US dollar salary by serving American customers and American businesses and saving the American businesses money. And also the third one is putting the money back into society to help the people out. So it's a beautiful formula that that we've created. And, And I think coming back to the economic situation of paying people in US dollars, the biggest problem in Zimbabwe is the monetary one. And government has failed, even current government, The failure of current government was to not recognize earlier that Zimbabwe dollars, this local currency, just simply couldn't work. Up until 2008, we were in hyperinflation, the biggest inflation in the world. Germany only exceeded our world record. And in our lifetime, I went through two cycles. We're now going through the third cycle of hyperinflation, where we had 13 zeros wiped off from our currency and still had another 20 zeros added to it. I saw a 200 US dollar value note in Zimbabwe, which became $200 trillion, go from 200 US dollar value to one cent in one month. So these are mind boggling numbers. And that generation that I'm talking with was born into that. 2008 was the height of hyperinflation. 2009, they dollarized the economy, wiped out the local currency, and we started trading normally. And we rebuilt the, the country from almost a zero base. We created 10 billion US dollars of value in less than 10 years. And yet government decided three years ago to reintroduce the lo- local currency. It's not There's no logic in it to me. Thankfully, with COVID-19 and, and the epidemic that's in the world, the pandemic, government decided to allow US dollars to be traded again. But a couple of months ago, they banned it. They made it illegal in the country. So you can imagine a teacher getting paid... You know, prior to this, they were getting 400 Zimbabwe dollars a month. And the currency ran from one to one. So from having 400 US dollars of value a month, it ran to 20 to one within six months. So that currency of 400 US dollars then became worth 20 US dollars. It's now over 50 to one. So if they're still earning the same $400, that's like eight US dollars a month. Well, that's not enough for anyone to survive in any country, in any world. You know, the cost of transport is over a dollar a day just to get to working back. So in our unique kind of business, we've been able to keep people propped up by paying them in US dollars. And it's such a blessing.
0: Yeah, and, and I think the the positive out of this is going, going back a little further, you, you're right. Um, I really think the younger population, even the older population, they do need to recognize the independence that happened in 79 and 80 and and that Mugabe was definitely the leader of that and and he should be revered for for what he did there because he brought uh, independence, he brought uh, continuity and unity to the nation at that point. Today, 40 years later, what you have in, in my limited scope is you have a very highly educated population. My understanding out of the 53, 54 nations in Africa that they rank number one or number two every year in terms of literacy and and, and university education, not just literacy, but also the percentage that have uh, a university education. The really interesting part is you could have a family who's earning uh, 200 or 300 US dollars a month to support their family. They will take a, a high percentage of that, 50%, 75%, maybe even all of that, and invest that into their children knowing that education and particularly your university education is the future for them and and that's amazing to me is not only the resilience but the sacrifice that mm. parents are willing to make and, and it's it's interesting Ken because in most countries you could go to neighboring countries in, in Africa you could go to countries throughout the area and I think you'll find that most countries do not have the infrastructure and education that Zimbabwe has to be able to educate and train the young people to, for them to be able to perform in the environment which they do. I'm telling you, I've, I've, I've been around uh, many different levels of, 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 of people and education with different companies in the U.S. And knowing what you can get, not only in some of the basics of accounting and, and, and IT but we've got companies doing 3D and 2D animation, as an example, or even people who are doing architect and CAD designs. And we've been able to go find people that are not only educated and trained, but they have some experience. So the level of, of, of opportunity there is so high that I don't think it could be measured in scope. It's much higher than what you'll find in the BPO centers in India, the BPO centers in the Philippines, where they do, and don't get me wrong, those those are serving a great purpose and, and those countries have, have been able to uh, utilize their talents in many ways to help a lot of businesses worldwide. But but I tell you, Zimbabwe is the, the, the hidden secret in all the world and it's also a place where I know we can make a, this global impact that we talk about from our businesses right there in Zimbabwe. I
1: love the way you use the word sacrifice. JW, and, and, and I must say, on a personal level, uh, I've experienced Zimbabweans that have given 100% of their salaries to supporting their children to go to school. I don't even know how those families lived, and they would do it for months, because the school fees would be so high, they'd put their schools, their kids into the best schools. They would, this would be someone you know doing the garden work. This would be someone cleaning your house. These are poor people with nothing, but they would aspire for their children to go to the best school and to give them the best education. I know of children who walk 20 kilometers to school a day. And yet they did that with full joy in their hearts, knowing that that was their most important thing in their life, to get an education. On another personal level, my my, my foster son, who's a black kid, he grew up in a township. I met him when he was 15. His name's Denzel, Denzel Malikwa. And Denzel had huge potential. He had no father and his grandmother was looking after him and he could not pay his school fees. So I kind of financially adopted him and fostered him and brought him into our family and just provided for him financially to be able to have the opportunities. Well, today he's a, he's a qualified lawyer. I'm very proud to say he's now, he's now working as a lawyer. He studied law for five years and his whole life has transformed and it's given me so much pleasure to be able to see sowing a small seed, what a difference it can make in a person's life. And it all starts with education and the people of zimbabwe are passionate about educating each other if there was one thing above all others they would do first is to provide education for their children and it shows now so we've got like two million university graduates but here's the anomaly which is what you're saying is the hidden gem these people don't have jobs and it's unlikely that the economy within the country are going to be able to provide the jobs they need so the only way for them to find employment is through BPOs like ours, and I really believe this is the way to go—not only for us but for the whole country.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's going to open up opportunities that that weren't there, as you say. Uh, there are some very good companies uh, in in Harari. Uh, there's there's opportunity there, but it is—it's localized. It's more—it's more manual labor, where maybe it's working as a, in the farming industry, or maybe it's in the, the poultry industry or livestock things of that nature. Where what we're gonna be able to do is fulfill those dreams. You know, you're, you're right, you have, uh, uh, I don't know what the numbers are, but my guess is if you have somebody who graduates after four or five years of a university education in accounting, there may be uh, a thousand people applying for that single job that becomes open in the country, whether that's with one of the, the big five accounting firms uh, who are present in Harare or, or, or one of those areas, where what we can do is we can connect them with, with companies worldwide, whether that's in uh, the UK or the US, who are needing that labor, and able to, to provide for that uh, uh, in, in, a, in a well-paid job, which is, you know I think one thing we point out is we actually do pay higher than the average salaries in, in Harare with the intention to do that. Um, but what we've created there, and, and, and Ken, I, I give you most of the credit, I, I don't, wouldn't know anything about Zimbabwe, um, I do want to say that in a Christian lifestyle and a Christian mentality by the fact that that both of us were attending a Christian conference that was uh, based on um, a championship fathering and National Center for Fathering. That's where we met. So putting ourselves available allowed this to happen. But introducing me to Zimbabwe and and being able to see the opportunities there, now we're actually able, to use our business model to create opportunities. But more than that, we, we're doing things which are unheard of. Um, for instance, we have we have uh, people on staff who are full-time ministers. Uh, actually, actually, they're trained pastors who work in our company, who provide daily, weekly, even right now, where we're in the middle of a lockdown and we've got another couple of weeks of that, we're having zoom bible studies every day with our, our devotionals every day with our staff who are, who are who are at home they're able to remote in with their phones we're keeping them encouraged so even creating this company where we're connecting them with jobs we're also not losing sight of we want to invest in them as individuals and them as 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 people to know that hey we do care about them but they're not a uh a product we, we don't say that These people are are labor resources, although that's what they are. They're real people and that's the way we treat them. We're seeing where we're investing their lives, that uh, they're also able to improve their family conditions. And also many people are able to find the Lord who they wouldn't have been able to do that. So all of this is a concerted effort to bring people out of their current situation, which is poverty, where uh, who knows what that actual number is. You'll hear some people say it's 70% unemployment. Uh, Ken, I know I've heard you say 90% unemployment. So it's somewhere in that number, and, and, and it may be higher right now with this COVID-19 going on. No telling what the end result's gonna be for this for the US uh, and for Zimbabwe, but there's hope. And I think that's the key thing. Surprisingly, we've lost very few of our clients through this COVID-19. They realize that they're gonna need them on this, this uh, reboot, as I like to call it. So it's interesting that we've had people stick with us, stay with us. And we're going to be even more special coming out of this, I believe, and that we can provide not only opportunities for those people in Zimbabwe, but we're going to be able to provide resources for those in the U.S. to get on with their business and maybe even elevate, accelerate what they're doing in their life as well.
1: Yeah, I love that word resource, JW, because it just shows us that, you know, the old adage of you can, you can give a fish to someone to help them out but you can then teach them to fish and, and the step further is you can you can provide the fishing rod and the pond for them to be able to breed the fish so it's sustainable you know and i think we're doing all of those things and if we look at it in a spiritual way you know i know you're totally passionate about making disciples of all nations matthew 28:19 and that's that's and that's a great cause my, my heart is with the widows and orphans. And I think we can do both of these things through our business. We can really do the Lord's work and make disciples of all nations. And his call was to make disciples of all nations, not only peoples. So we are doing that in Zimbabwe. We are having an impact on individuals' lives. And the multiplier effect of that is massive because those people feel like they belong to something that has meaning. It's giving them a reason. And we've answered that question in our vision and mission really well. Why are we doing this? And that's the exact reason that you just put off there
0: yeah you know that's interesting because uh not too long ago uh i had a conversation with a, 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 a president of a, a pretty large dental company and talking about it she said you keep talking about how you're how you're doing it and what you're doing it she said you really need to talk about why you do it and i, and I sometimes even forget that in my day-to-day Uh, work. I get real busy with the the goal of of putting people to work and and I've got to meet these number of seats and I've got to hit this, but we we can't ever forget why we do it, which is the number one uh, objective. And that why is that not only are we going to be able to put people to work, Ken and I have both committed to giving 51% of our profits back to ministries worldwide. And so uh, I, I think what we're what we're seeing is that it's not, <laughs> I love what you, the analogy you just said, is uh, you can provide somebody a fish um, uh, and, and that feeds them for the day or you can teach somebody to fish. But in Zim, I would say that they know how to fish and I would say uh, they even have the basic understanding of, of, of what that fish is gonna taste like and they may occasionally get a fish, but we're giving them the fishing pole and we're giving them the pond. And so by providing even more of those intangibles that they're not able to have, then I think we can make a significant impact. And that's that's the objective. The objective, uh, we have this vision, and I don't believe it was my vision, it was God's vision. Uh, uh, even the owner of our, our building, which we're in there in Joina even said, hey, I'll move out, you can take all 19 floors. <laughs> and and that's our plan. I mean, we, we do see the vision is that we're gonna be not only a place to work, that we're gonna be the place to work in Zimbabwe because the opportunity, the future is bright. I, you know, Knowing that Zimbabwe just 20 plus years ago was the breadbasket; It was the place that was producing uh, the, the most minerals and the, the, the tobacco farms and uh, the poultry business. Everything was booming and thriving that that's where we see it returning to. And and we're going to be a small part of that. I do truly believe that.
1: Amen to that, brother. And we are going to be the, the water in the middle of the desert, the oasis. We are going to be the light that shines. And may our light shine so bright that everyone that sees it will glorify our Father in heaven. And just my closing comments, I'm reading this New York Times bestseller at the moment, How You'll Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. So he talks about capabilities what is capabilities well he says it's three things it's the resources you have which is the what normally very visible and tangible things you can see and measure he talks about the resources plus the processes and what are the processes processes are things that allow you to use the resources to get the results so that's the how The what is the resources the how is the processes and the last component of our capabilities is what he calls priorities and the priorities are actually the why, the why we do what we do, and for me, it's the most important component. So, if we look at the resources we have, it's the people of Zimbabwe, the what, the how is the companies that are providing the jobs to these people, and the why we do it is to create impact for the people themselves.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I, which, which is our, which is our mission. It's, it's. Uh, we both have the same. Mission that we're going to make a global impact and and and, I, and I, I don't believe I know we're doing that And I think while we're only doing a small piece of that today. That's going to be impactful. You know, it's it's interesting Ken Years ago 1997, I went to one of Zig Ziglar's in-person three-day events and uh, Zig Ziglar has all these wonderful uplifting comments and one of the ones it's always stuck with me is he says You'll always get all you want if you'll help enough other people get what they want. And I think it's true in this business that that yes, our goal is to make, uh, we, we wanna make it profitable. Uh, two reasons, sure, we all, wanna, we all wanna live better and make a little money and, and improve our lifestyles and leave that legacy. But by giving 51% of ours back to the ministry, we can make an impact there. So if we help those people in Zimbabwe and the country improve and help itself out of the place it's in, then I truly believe we'll get all we want as well. So the first thing is to help others get what they want, and then we can truly get everything. And that's, this, that's the unselfishness of, of Christ, right? It's putting Amen. others before self. And I Amen. think until we ever, unless we never come to the conclusion that we have to put others first, then it's always a catastrophe. I I, I can tell you, because I've, I've done that too many times, and it, and it doesn't work out very well. <laughs> it's It's a failure for sure. But... Well, Ken, I, I just have to say your commitment to uh, the people of Zimbabwe, the commitment to your your ancestry and your heritage, uh, letting me be a small part of that with with our business together is inspiring. Uh, you're inspiring. Uh, we 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 both know that we're on the same mission, the same goal. Uh, we, we let me say this: we butt heads, and that's okay. That's what life's about. Uh, uh, in, in the Christian life, it's about agreeing to disagree. And that's okay. We, 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 we're, we're not all made uh, in, in the same. I, I just read a really cool quote. It said uh, uh, "Don't something like, don't call me crazy just because I'm not like you. And I think that's what we have to all realize is we, we all have our differences. But thank you for that commitment. And uh, man, we're, we are, I mean, I can't tell you, when I really, really think about it and really get my mindset on it, I get so excited about the future, and even more so during this COVID-19 chaos, because I believe that what's ahead is incredibly bright, and that we're gonna be a small part of of that that, uh, light there in Zimbabwe, too.
1: Amen again to that, brother, and just to say we are the body of Christ, and you may be the arm and I may be the leg, or vice versa, but together we make up His body, and together we can make a difference. It's a privilege and honor knowing you and I know how much you have a heart for the people and how you really love people. And you've helped me to learn some of your qualities and to appreciate those things that you have, which I really do. I know how much you love the people of Zimbabwe. So thank you for what you're doing, JW. It really does make a difference and it means a lot to me.
0: Well, thank you, Ken. Uh, it was a, a, a sheer sure pleasure to, to have you on. We're uh probably 10,000 plus miles apart but through the magic of technology we're we're in the same room together so uh thanks for joining us i know it's uh, later there uh love to your family and man just just let us remember not only us but everybody that's listened to this we all have an opportunity to make a global impact with our businesses with our lives with our finances with our love and our future so we just hope everyone will continue to do that thanks everybody for uh Uh, joining us for another edition Ken thank you
1: thank you JW God bless you my friend
0: everybody have a fantastic week we look forward to seeing you again on another edition of global impact have a super week thanks again for joining us on another edition of global impact subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Deezer and follow us on Facebook links will be in the description below until next time Stay inspired, stay motivated, and make an impact.